See, I see my dreams in high definition. I want to help people to tap in their dreams so they see it inside themselves crystal clear, as clear as an HD or a 4K TV. Envision yourself doing that thing that gets you up out of bed and watch what happens. So you stop focusing on being busy and you get focused on being effective. This is The One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. What do you think your life would look like if you had the opportunity to sit down and interview 10,000 net worth millionaires, true millionaires, to ask them what their journey looked like to building wealth and if they could give you guidance on the one thing you could do such that by doing it would make building extraordinary wealth easier or unnecessary. What could that do for you, your family, and ultimately the impact that you could make in the world? The person that you are going to meet today, his team did just that. They commissioned the largest study ever on net worth millionaires. They sat down with over 10,000 of them and put it together in a book that is a major bestseller called Everyday Millionaires. For those of you who are fans of Dave Ramsey, he is one of the Ramsey personalities, Chris Hogan. He's the host of The Chris Hogan Show. Great podcast. We highly suggest it. And we had a chance to sit down with Chris to talk to him about his book, Everyday Millionaires, and to really give you the ability to understand the the psychology of these millionaires so you can begin to adopt it and build amazing wealth for you and the people that matter most. This was part of our One Thing webinar series. Every month, we sit down with a best-selling author. Last month, we sat down with Chris. For those of you that are Dave Ramsey fans, this upcoming month in April, we're sitting down with Ken Coleman, host of Entre Leadership. You do not want to miss that live conversation. If you would like to join us, go to theonething.com slash webinar. That's the one thing.com with the number one in the URL slash webinar. You can register to join us live with Ken and you can also see the full video of our interview with Chris. The episode that you are hearing today is the first half of that. So if you'd like to hear the episode in its entirety with video, go to the one thing.com slash webinar. If you'd like to check out Chris's book, Everyday Millionaires, it is available everywhere books are sold. You can also go to audible.com slash one thing. With that, let's get into this episode with author and personal finance expert, Chris Hogan. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is, Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month.
Today, we are having a conversation about how ordinary people build extraordinary wealth. And this topic came from a brand new book that came out, Everyday Millionaires. This is a book that has taken off uh, behind the scenes. We've been watching the sales number. And all we have to say is this thing has absolutely dominated. And we know why. It's a topic that I think is relevant to a lot of us. And we, before we dive into introducing our guest today, we want to let you know how these two books align. Because our hope is that by the end of this conversation, you understand one thing you can do, such that by doing it would make building extraordinary wealth easier or unnecessary for you. It all starts with what I believe is my favorite quote from The One Thing. It's from FM Alexander. People do not decide their futures. They decide their habits. Their habits decide their futures. I know that when my wife and I have sat down and we thought about our ambitions when it came to wealth, I just asked the question, what are the habits that we currently don't have? That if we acquired them, would make achieving that level of wealth easier or unnecessary for us. And what we know from doing the research is that it takes on average 66 days to form a habit. Not 21, not 30. According to the University College of London in 2009, they found that the average number of days it, it takes to hit the point of automaticity is 66 days. So as you go through today's training, really think about how many days would it take me? to form the one habit that I'm going to identify in this training. And here's what's cool about this is once you identify that one thing, that lead domino, if you will, if you line those dominoes up correctly, if you knock that first domino down, what happens? The rest of them fall. And what we know from the research is that a two-inch domino doesn't just knock down a domino of equal size. It actually knocks one down that's 50% larger. So a two-inch domino can knock over a three-inch domino, three knocks over four and a half. And this really compounds over time, just like money. And what's cool about this is by the 18th domino in, you could knock down the Leaning Tower of Pisa. By the 23rd domino, you could knock down the Eiffel Tower, not the one in Vegas, the real one. By the 31st domino, you could build a structure that would loom 3,000 feet above Mount Everest. And by the 57th domino, you would reach almost from the earth to the moon. So when we have a conversation today here with our guest about what it looks like to build wealth, your journey to building wealth is probably like a long, long train. It starts out too slow to notice until it's moving so fast that it just cannot be stopped. And folks, that's why we're so excited to introduce today's guest because he's going to help you understand that your extraordinary wealth is going to be built sequentially, not simultaneously. One thing at a time over time will lead to extraordinary wealth. And with that, we are so excited to welcome today's guest. He is a best-selling author. He is a personal finance expert. Chris Hogan, thank you so much for being with us here today on the One Thing webinar. Well, thank you, my friend. It's an honor to be with you. Yes, and I just sent over a webcam request, so people should be able to see both of our faces at the same time. Let's go ahead. Very good. There we go. All right. And there he is. <laughs> I, I, I told Mackenzie before this, my one thing is to make sure that I do the best job possible to make sure that I match the outfit of our guest. So oh, Yes, yes, yes. You have very good stylistic choices, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, Chris, where did this idea of everyday millionaires come from? 
Well, you know, I had uh, done released my first book in 2016, Retire Inspired. And really what that was, was America's wake up call on retirement. So many people were telling me, Chris, you know, I don't, I, I'm not saving much. The government's going to take care of me. Social security will take care of me. And I'm, I'm, I'm going, no, it's not. And so I realized a lot of people weren't aware of what it was going to take, but they more importantly, weren't aware of what it is they wanted to do in retirement. And so I released that book to kind of get people thinking and to kind of coach them right where they are. Well, as I started doing some media interviews, I'll never forget, I was uh, in a big city doing a media hit uh, on a panel. And uh, the panelist told me, he goes, you know, Chris, it's a shame that the American dream is dead and gone. And I, I looked at him and I go, what, what are you talking about? I said, no, the American dream is not dead and gone. And I walked through it and had another media hit a few weeks later and someone said the same thing. And I said, okay, enough is enough. Because I know having been in the money game for over 20 years, that you can build wealth over time. I know consistent people that focus and are intentional with their money can build wealth. And so I wanted to prove it. I wanted to find out how, how many millionaires are, are do we have out there? How did they build wealth? What did they do over time? Were they trust fund babies? Were they people that just had it handed to them? Or were these hardworking people that built it themselves? And what we found out by talking to over 10,000 millionaires across the country is that they're, and these millionaires are not trust fund babies. You know, these are hardworking everyday men and women all around the country. And so that was the goal was to prove this and to show people the truth. Give people a sense for if they don't know what it means to be a net worth millionaire. How do you define that? Right. For me, it's real simple. I mean, you, you look at and take everything that you own. That can be your 401k, your 403b, your Roth IRAs, IRAs, your home, equity in your home, whatever that is, add that up and then subtract out everything you owe on. So what you own minus anything that has debt on it. If that end number is a million dollars or more, then congratulations, you're an everyday millionaire. And a lot of people get confused mm -hmm. with this. And so I developed a free tool at my website, uh, chrishogan360.com slash net worth. There's a free net worth calculator on there to help people get started. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's 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 kind of debunk this because I know that people have these ideas of of what it takes to become a, a net worth millionaire. What are the myths? What are the truths? Well, the, the reality is the first one I hit on that a lot of people think that this was these are trust fund babies. They were just handed this money, you know, from rich parents or something. And the reality is, seventy nine percent of the millionaires that we talk to didn't inherit one dime, not a dime. That means these were people that were focused and hardworking, and they built wealth themselves. And so, the you know, you look at that, and you you have to think about what it is you believe, right? And another myth is that that millionaires have to have a high paying job. A third of the millionaires that we talked to didn't have a a six figure household income in a single working year. Household income, they didn't. Hmm. You know, and so again, these are people that were making under six figures, but they were focused and consistent in their investing over time. Another one is that you have to have this this high career, this big, powerful, high-powered career. The reality in our research, we found the top three positions of these millionaires were an engineer, which doesn't surprise us, right? Engineers are good at planning stuff. Number two was accountants. Well, they're good at counting stuff. I wouldn't surprise there either. Number <laughs> Number three blew me away. Number three was teachers. School teachers and college professors came in at number three. 
Now, people were shocked by this, but if you stop to think about it, if you're investing in, 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 the, in the school world, they have 403Bs, not 401Ks, but you invest consistently over time for 25 years in that and allow compound interest to do what it does, it grows money. But then on the other side of it, if they're focused and they're attacking and paying off their mortgage, which the average millionaire, according to my research shows, they're paying their homes off in right around uh, 11 years. Okay, so they're focused on this and attacking it. So if you take the, the value of the home plus the money they have in their 403B, then yes, they can become everyday millionaires. So it's less about how much money you're making. It's more about the habits that you have and what you're doing with money over time. So let's talk about this because um, this is a subject that rings really true to me. Um, prior to starting this company with Gary Keller and Jay Papasan, who wrote The One Thing, I was in medical sales and I had a very nice income. And yet I found myself and my wife feeling house poor. Mm. And then all of a sudden when uh, my company, which right, they rightfully had to do this, they had to make a change to our commission structure to remain competitive in the marketplace. All of a sudden things shifted yes. and things get really hairy. You look at so many people who, as a as a household, you know, maybe they are at seventy thousand, maybe they are above a hundred thousand dollars, and like you're saying, the average was below that. So, what are they doing wrong? Well, I think you know, it, there's there's a there are a few things with that. Uh, you know, too often times we live in this microwave culture where we want things fast and we're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. You know, typically Gen Xs and Gen Ys and even millennials uh, have, have thrown caution to the wind and taken on a bunch of debt to achieve the status their parents took 30 years to build. And so mindset-wise, we've got to look at this and start to realize, you know, the, the, the type of home that you live in doesn't equate to how well you're doing. I mean, according to my research, the average millionaire was living in a 2,600-square-foot home, 2,600 square feet, and they'd lived in the house for an average of 17 years. These weren't people that were going after 12,000 square feet homes and all this other stuff. They're, they're mindful and they're really focused on themselves and they're not worried about what other people think. And so I think in this, we've got to reset kind of our mind and realize what's the ultimate goal? What, it is, what are we trying to achieve? And being house poor, a lot of people have been there where you overbuy or get this, you, you buy a home qualifying on two incomes, but then you just start, decide to start to have a family. And now somebody wants to stay home. Now that double income that qualified you for the home is actually going to put you in a position to disqualify you to continue to pay for it because the income has been reduced. And so I want people to go into home buying with their eyes wide open. Don't let it become an emotional decision. Um, I've done it. I've made that mistake where you see this home and you just had to have it, but you realize it's about 50000 above your budget. And we all say, oh, another $300 isn't that bad. No, it's not month one or two. But when you get a few years down the road, you start to feel a little bit more strapped. So I think yeah. we need to breathe and start to make long-term decisions, not short-term decisions based on just wants. Take us back to younger Chris Hogan. <laughs> take, take us back to prior to doing all the research, prior to, to your 20 years in the business. Yeah. What were some of the what was the mindset that you had around money? And what were some of the mistakes that you made along the way? All right, you're going to just put me out here like this. All right, well let me let me shoot you straight. You know, prior to being in the in the um, where I am now, uh, flashing back, my mindset was is that I had to grow my income. Mm -hmm. uh, that I wasn't going to take my money seriously until I got to this certain level. 
The problem with that is, is that in that mindset, even as your income grows, so can our stupid, right? So can the toys, the size toys you buy grow when your income grows. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had this, this wake up call of realizing, wait a minute, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to enough, right? Before I get serious. So I had to start to get to get serious. Uh, mistakes I've made, oh my gosh. You know, I was having my first kid. Uh, we both had cars at the time. And I thought, well, you can't, have, you can't bring a baby home in a sedan. You got to have an SUV. Right. And I went to just go look at an SUV. And <laughs> people, I know people that are watching have done this where you were just going to look. Right. And guess what? I came home with almost a $700 car payment on this SUV to bring home an eight pound baby. Right. It didn't equate. And so, you know, that was a massive mistake. And of course, credit card on the camp, college campus, uh, that was a mistake. It turned out to be a $7,000 pizza. Right. You know how they offer you the free pizza when you sign up for the credit card? That was yeah. the world's expensive pizza, right? Because I did a lot of silly on spring break and running around. And so, despite those mistakes, and a lot of the people listening and watching, maybe you've made a mistake with money. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. I just want them to hear this where you are right now doesn't have to be where you end up. What I mean by that is we can change it. Right, a mistake is something you, that happens once, but when you keep doing it time after time after time, let's not call it a mistake anymore. Now it's called a choice. And so, when we make better choices for our money, we can get better results for our future. Yeah, I, I remember I was in a mastermind with my partner Gary Keller, which for the people who um, may not be familiar with who he is, uh, he started Keller Williams, it's the largest real estate company in the world. And I remember him saying that you're never more than five years away from everything that you could possibly want. Like you think about the dream, the things that you can't even perceive to be possible, it can all be possible in five years if you align the dominoes up correctly, identify your one thing, and you whack away at that thing until it falls. I like just- that. No, that is so very true. And 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 I'm going to tell you this: as I look and as I've talked to people, uh, people are good at writing down goals, right? People are good; they can put it down on paper. But I ask them, I go, is that a goal you're interested in or is that a goal that you absolutely have to achieve? You see, you got to be a little bit more different. You got to think differently and not only set the goal, but I want people to take it a step further. Jeff, I've been telling people, I want you to not only identify your goal, I want you to list out what are you willing to sacrifice to get there? Mm. You see, we never talk about the sacrifice factor, but to gain something, you're going to have to give up some things, right? You have to give up a little bit more sleep and you're going to have to hustle a little bit more. But what I want people to do is to aim for things that are worthwhile. Do things that you're going to feel good about that have a legacy impact for you and your family. So you said identify the why, identify what you're willing to give up. And I think a lot of people, um, out of curiosity, for those of you who are joining us live, how many of you are married in a committed relationship, have it a significant other, you know, if for the men out there, what's uh what's what's yours is hers and what's hers is hers, you know, what I'm talking about. <laughs> so so here's the question, Chris. What how would you coach somebody to begin having the conversation with a significant other? Because mm-hmm. what we have found, we host every year, we host a, a couple's goal setting retreat. And right. what we find is very rarely do a, a committed partnership have the same goals. Yeah. No, and I, I think too often times when dealing with relationships, we automatically assume that that each person has to surrender 
their goal, right? That, that we have to give up what we want and sacrifice for what they want. And I think the best thing a committed couple could do is to identify the shared goals. What are the family goals, the things that we're striving after? And I think it's important to hear from both sides before we come up with that master list. Like in my book, Retire Inspired, as I was telling people to start to get prepared for retirement, the first step I wanted them to take was to have a dream meeting together. Meaning, I wanted you to share, what do you want retirement to look like? And as I talked to a few people uh, a few years prior to releasing the book, as I was doing the research, you'd have one spouse that wanted to travel a lot and another spouse that might want to travel all around the house a lot, right? (laughs) (laughs) There's always a sense of humor in that, that you're never automatically aligned, but they both had places they wanted to go. They both had people they wanted to do for in their families. They both wanted to do some mission trips. And what I did in talking to them was I gave them permission to share their dream with each other. See, it's impossible to support somebody in their dream if you don't know it. So my tip is when you're talking to your spouse or significant other, ask them about their dream and do this. Hush. Like, be careful. Don't make a weird facial gesture. Don't do anything because we're already so personal with our goals. And a lot of times life has happened so much, we've forgotten the goal ourselves, but we know it. It's inside of us. It's that thing that we've been excited about most of our lives. Well, get reconnected with it. And that might take a few days, but give us some thought. But when your significant other is sharing their dream, just listen to it. And I want you to watch their face, how they light up, getting excited about traveling, getting excited about doing things for grandkids that may come one day. Now, once you know it, you can support each other and start to identify what do we need to do to put us on a track to achieve these goals? Yeah, Salma asked a great question, which is, um, what does that look like when in the partnership, one person is the saver and one person is the spender? Oh, Selma, that's a good question. Uh, (laughs) I know, number one, that God has a sense of humor. That's why we always tend to match up with somebody that's opposite us, right? But I think, again, going back to it with one person being the saver and the other person being the spender, they can coexist. You know, the main thing is, is what are we saving for, right? And how does that impact the family? Is it helpful or hopeful? And then what are we spending for? And it's okay to do a little bit of both, but we need to do it in alignment, right? And shared goals on the front end. That's why I talked about that first, because that then clearly identifies what are we going to do? So I encourage spouses out there or or, or connected partners to have a 30-minute budget meeting, right? Once a week initially. Just sit down and exercise the muscle of talking about money. You see, typically, Jeff, we only talk about money when there's not enough of it, right? And so now you got stress, you got anxiety, everybody's riled up. Well, that's a perfect combustion right there for an explosion. So let's flex the muscle and begin to talk about it when things are, are at the beginning of the month. And now you'll find that the communication gets easier because we flex that muscle. Yeah. So, so to recap, what I'm hearing you say is it's not about your goals being the same. Mm-hmm. It's about you creating an environment or a situation where you can share your goals with them. They can share their goals with you. You hush in between so that you gain insight. It's about understanding how can you support each other along your journey. And one resource that you shared is just to have some type of a regular meeting, which I, I chuckled and, and immediately reached and grabbed for my 411. This is a tool we used to have clarity on our priorities. And when I look at my number four priority for the year, track spending daily and 50 family meetings. Wow. Like that's, 
50 family meetings and I track it down to the month and the week because yes. I understand that if Amy and I sit down on a weekly basis to at least talk about money, whether we're doing great or whether we suck at the time, mm-hmm. at least we can try to figure out how we grow together. See, and the reality of that and the benefit of that is you all talking, what you do is start to gain understanding, right? Mm-hmm. It's impossible to support something you don't understand. And so whether you do have one that's more of a spender and one that's more of a saver, what are, what are we doing for the family? I'll, I'll never forget, I was talking to a young man and he went to see a marriage counselor and they had just gotten engaged and doing the premarital counseling stuff. And he said his, his marriage counselor told him he needed to speak French. And he was like, what? He said, the marriage counselor said, I need to speak we, not me. Because you take the focus off of self and you start to look at the family and what's in the best interest of the family, you know, and and doing that helps us reprioritize and just stay engaged. Yeah, I I love that. So I want to go big picture, you know, for for everybody who's listening or watching this, you know, let's fast forward to that five-year mark. We have everything we could possibly want. We have the wealth that we desire. And when we look backwards, we realize we had to become a certain type of person to take certain type of actions to have the type of results that we want. Talk to us about the mindset, the characteristics that you found when you studied over 10,000 net worth millionaires. No, you're absolutely right. It, that The mindset is everything. And I, I start the, the book and I'm talking about it and looking at really three areas. If you're going to put yourself on a path to becoming an everyday millionaire, I think the first thing we have to look at is what do we believe? Right? What do you believe is possible? Now, I say this because I grew up in rural Kentucky, right? I didn't know of millionaires. I didn't, I, I had no clue. I thought if there was a millionaire, it had to be an athlete, an entertainer, or a musician. I thought that's the only way. Well, that wasn't my frame of reference, but understanding what you believe can impact us a lot. And sometimes you have to think, what did your family say about money? What did they tell you was possible for you because you were a Smith or a Jones or a whatever in your family? You see, just because your family wasn't good with money doesn't mean you can't be. Mm. And so the beliefs are huge. Uh, Next from beliefs, now it comes to knowledge. We have to grow in our knowledge. Like if you believe you can become an everyday millionaire and now you grow in your knowledge of, hey, how do I go about this? The importance of investing. How compound interest works. I love the domino uh, example. I'm going to have to use that somewhere, my friend. Uh, but but our knowledge is huge. And so listening to, to podcasts and shows, reading books helps us to kind of bolster and understand what's out there and what's available. But the last piece of it, we've got belief, we got knowledge. The last piece is actions, right? Nothing happens until something happens. And so the actions are budgeting. Starting to tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it went, right? Understanding where you are, attacking debt, knowing that when you get out of debt, you give yourself a raise, right? Stop sending money to Visa and MasterCard. They're not going to be there to take care of you later on in life, right? And so the importance of saving and having an emergency fund, three to six months of expenses set aside will help you sleep and be more calm than you've ever known. Because if a car breaks down, you have money to go Mm -hmm. fix it. You don't have to stress. And then the fourth thing is investing. It's imperative to really invest consistently over time and be focused. But you said something, and I want to hit on this in the final piece. You said, you know, it's five years and we've gotten where we want to go. Well, I think it's important for us to have the mindset of always having the spirit of giving back. Uh, I think giving is the best thing you could ever do with money. Uh, 70% of the millionaires that I talk to set aside money each and every month to give. And so that mindset of being able, being ready and willing to help someone in need, whether it's someone you're close to or something you hear about, that's a good thing. And it helps us to feel good when we help others. 
Yeah, I, I love that. And, and, and I've heard Gary say so many times, money's good for the good it can do. Mm. And it, it doesn't change you. It simply reveals you. Yes. You know, if you are a selfish person, it will just amplify that. If you are a generous person, it will simply amplify that. What did you find in your research? Well, that the you know, uh, over over ninety percent of these millionaires learned about money from their parents. Uh, that it was a discussion. It was something that they had some awareness of. Uh, whether it was just young and they learned to save. You get, you know, 20, 50 bucks for your birthday. You know, their parents taught them, hey, we're going to set some of that back. Uh, so you have it for a, a later time in life or when there's something you're saving up for to be able to buy. But there were some characteristics that were shown throughout this study. And Jeff, I'd love to dig into those. Uh, number one, you know, these millionaires knew that they were, they were intentional with their money. Meaning that money didn't slide through their hands. They told it where to go, uh, being very intentional. Number two, they were hardworking people. You know, over 98% of them said someone would describe them as hardworking, meaning that when they went to work, they did their job, they did it to the best of their ability, and they were really and truly dialed in. Dialed in. Uh, the third thing is, is that they're goal oriented. Uh, they knew the the point of setting a goal and then working and establishing to get there. So goal setting was a big deal for these people as well. Uh, but they were also uh, people that really understood that building wealth requires intentionality and time, that you can't build wealth quickly, right? I tell people there's a difference in the mindset between getting rich and building wealth. Right, getting rich means you took some enormous risk and you had had some money come in. Right, building wealth means you had a goal and a plan and you did it consistently over time. Mm. People tend to hold on to it. Rich people tend to squander it. So I want to go back to that that quote from FM Alexander, and I'm going to show the slide right here. People do not decide their futures; they decide their habits, mm. and their habits decide their futures. So, Chris, when you talk about these millionaires being intentional, when you talk about them being hardworking, when you talk about them being goal-oriented, what are those underlying habits that you have seen consistently that led to them becoming those types of people? Well, the first thing is that jumped out at me, and I absolutely love this statistic, um, is that 73% of these millionaires never carried a dime of credit card debt, okay? 73% never cared a dime. And that means if they used it, they paid the thing off or they didn't have it at all. And so that mindset tells me right now that they weren't willing to offer and give up their money to someone else. If they were going to buy it, they were going to save it, save up and pay cash. I like that. The big one that I liked is 97% of these millionaires believe that they control their own destiny. 97% had that mindset that they weren't a victim, right? Regardless of where they grew up. Uh, regardless of where they went to school, this was not something that they were going to be deterred with. And that's mm. such a strong statement because I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon. Okay. I mean, I, I didn't have that. I was in a, a lower to middle income family growing up. And a lot of your, the people, your viewers are, are, are identifying with me. Uh, there are a lot of us have come from lower income families and, and that upbringing, uh, you got some qualities and traits from that, but that doesn't have to define your future. And so I love that they had that mindset. Um, also, uh, 79% of them said the number one tool that they used to be able to build wealth was their employer-sponsored retirement plans, meaning hmm. they were in 401ks, 403bs, and, and using Roth IRAs and IRAs. They knew the value of compound interest. 68% of them said that they used an investment professional along the way as well. 
So they were going to a professional to help guide them. They didn't try to do it alone. So that's just a few of the things, you know, the mindset. Oh, 62% of them went to a public state college. 62%. See, a lot of people think you got to go to some Ivy League school in order to be become a millionaire or to be successful in life. That's not true. So 62% went to a state or public university. 9% went to a community college. 8% didn't go to college at all. And so this mindset of being goal-oriented and controlling their destiny, it just shows these are hardworking, everyday people that were consistent, Jeff, over time. So folks, out of everything that you've heard today, whether it's beliefs, whether it's budget, whether it's changing your mindset around income, whether it's having the dream meeting with your significant other, here's the question. What's your one thing? What's the one thing you can do? You will make a decision to do it such that by doing it, by knocking down that lead domino, everything else will be easier or unnecessary. Mm. Put the answer in the questions box. Donna says, change the mindset. So Donna, that's think big, act big. Let's go smaller. What's the one thing you can do that would make changing your mindset easier or unnecessary? Get it to a two-inch domino. You flick the finger and it falls. Set goals, reminders, and visuals. Megan, what's the one thing you can do to set your goals? Lisa says, make the calls every day. Lisa, what's the minimum number of calls you could make to feel like you just were, you knocked down the domino? What's the littlest domino that you can knock down? Michelle says, discover my true dreams. Michelle, what's the one thing you can do to discover your true dreams? Cheryl says, pay off my debt. Cheryl, you know what I'm gonna ask you. What's the one thing? Keep it coming, folks. This, this is really what it looks like. Ask the question, search for the answer, and keep asking it until you get it to a two-inch little domino. If you knock that down, everything else falls. Chris, what would you suggest to people that their lead domino be? Mm. I think the lead domino is I'm going to list and take two actions today that lead me in my direction. And that might be, number one, verbalizing that I'm going to tell an accountability person that I'm going to do better. Uh, that I'm going to go home and if I've done silly with money, I'm going to apologize to my spouse and say, I love you. We're going to do this thing and let's sit down and get serious. Um, And I think that all really falls under decision. I'm going to decide to act. I'm going to decide to do better because I know I can better is available. I love that. I love that. Well, folks, the man, the myth, the legend, the big man with the big voice, (laughs) author of Everyday Millionaires, Chris Hogan. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. Uh, It was an honor to be with you. Well, there you have it. This is part one of Everyday Millionaires with Chris Hogan. Like we mentioned, folks, this was part of our One Thing monthly webinar. It was a hour-long video interview. If you would like to see it in its entirety, go to theonething.com slash webinar. Because in the second half, Chris talks about the goals that he set for himself. He talks about how he tracks his progress with his goal. We start asking coaching questions to help you identify your lead domino for building wealth, how you can begin to gain clarity about your dreams, the switch that these everyday millionaires flipped that set them on the path to building wealth. And you'll get to know Chris on a more personal level. We really tap into what his dreams are and the purpose that drives his actions. And specifically, we also talk about how you can get your significant other who may not be interested in having conversations about money to have the conversations about money. 
That's all possible when you go to the onething.com slash webinar. You can check that out. And you can also register for our upcoming webinar with Ken Coleman. He's another one of the Ramsey personalities and host of the Entre Leadership Podcast. Folks, we hope that this episode has brought value to you. If it has, please share it with some people that you know need to hear this. We know that money is a major uh, point of contention, let's just say, for, for people. So share it with the people that matter most to you. And if you're one of the people that, it, that this got shared with, please go ahead, click that subscribe button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And if you feel so inclined, it would mean the world to us if you'd leave us a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. It helps us reach more people and we love seeing the feedback. So we really appreciate you all. Thank you so much. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.